this evening and turn to Genesis chapter 2. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 2. Excuse me. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. I'm going to read down through verse 25. It says, And the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. Whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Adam gave names to all cattle, to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found and help meat for him, or the word meat means fit. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So we're going to be looking at marriage. Marriage. God's intention for marriage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. We thank you that we have your words preserved for us, uh, given in our own, and translated into our own language so that we can understand and know and understand uh, you and your character and your purpose uh, for us in creating us and, Father, in purpose in sending your Son, the Lord Jesus, to redeem us from all iniquity and purify us unto himself of people peculiar of good works, peculiar people zealous of good works. I do so pray, Father, that you'd help us tonight as we look into this subject and uh, that's so under attack in our world and give us wisdom and understanding. Help us as your people to be salt and light and uh, to have marriages that would please and glorify you and understand the purpose for which it was intended. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Of course, the Marriage is one of the things that's been under attack since the beginning of time. Uh, marriage, or marriage or the home, you might say, is the foundation of any society. Uh, once the home is destroyed, uh, society is, is short-lived. Uh, and of course it's clear that, that the family life in our country is disintegrating, uh, more and more, of course, you know, divorce rates are 50% somewhere in right. We don't really know because a lot of them just don't get married and just live together. That's kind of the, the end thing, you know, or the, it's the acceptable thing nowadays. And, um, but anyway, as we can, you know, there's, there's, of course, there's reasons for, for all that. Uh, you know, I was, I was just I was looking through some things I have. Uh, concerning this subject this afternoon, and one of them was that Obamacare, there was a clause in Obamacare that encouraged people not to be married or to get divorced because it would, it would lower your income so you didn't have to pay as much into Obamacare. 
And, you know, I've known this for years. When we lived in Maine, there was a, a family, there was two families in our church, and they had a brother uh, who had lived together with a woman for, I don't know, 15 years. And uh, they seemed to, very, to get along very well. But and, she, and one of them said one day, the only reason they don't get married is because they'd have to pay more taxes. You know, it's even like our government is against marriage. Of course, our government's, you know, it's, it's a system of the world, but uh, used to be government favored, our government at least favored these kind of things, but not no more, not anymore. Uh, so <clears throat> there's, there's many reasons, of course, uh, moral problems, lack of commitment. You know, there's no commitment today. Uh, but the biggest problem that I think is, and, and, and is there's a there's an improper foundation, uh, and of course this goes again goes back to the home where there's a lack of authority or a lack of oversight uh, given or required or expected uh, inspection of children. Children are left to themselves to go their own way, or they're looked upon as a problem. You know, many children are looked at as a. And this sounds terrible, but I mean. Remember, remember a guy saying one time, and I wanted to slap him so bad, but he was bigger than me. But anyway, uh, he he you know he said that he got married, and and then this thing came along, pointed to his son, you know, about six seven years old. It's like he you know was interfered with their life. And uh, but anyway, um. A lack of a foundation, a good foundation. And, of course, a lot of that, I believe, is, uh, especially in Christian homes, agreement with what you believe. Uh, if you have to change what you believe to get a spouse, it's idolatry. So, so there needs to be a proper foundation. But four times in the Bible, there's a statement that God makes that he makes here in verse 24. And it's Genesis 2.24, Matthew 19.5, and Mark 10.7 and 8. And also Ephesians 5.31. And it's almost word for word where it says, Therefore shall man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, one flesh, there's several things that we, that we keep, comes to mind here. The one flesh uh, uh, relationship, I believe, refers to the physical relationship in particular. But, but that illustrates for us real unity. Real unity. One flesh. You know, real, real unity is based on like belief. It's not based on, we have this chemistry. Or, you know, uh, or she's so beautiful, or he's, and he's so handsome, and he's such a Romeo, or whatever. No, it's based on like belief. Unity. Uh, and that statement, of course, is made four times in the Bible. And it's something we need to really consider. That, and again, that is a foundation. And, of course, it gives us God's intention for building a good and happy marriage. Now, I'll give you some, some reasons or some attacks on the marriage first, as we consider this, first of all. Uh, contemporary attacks on the, on the family. Of course, the new morality, which isn't new anymore, it's 50 years old. Uh, 
things that were formerly frowned upon are now accepted. It's just plain old immorality. Uh, it's all right if you're in love to engage in premarital sex. Society says it's okay as long as it's consensual. That's, that's, that's what society says. It's all right to live together without a marriage. No rings, no strings, you know. And a lot of people think that's okay. After all, you know, I've been living with this person for ten years. It's still, a, it's still fornication. It's still adultery. Of course, we have the playboy philosophy. Pleasure is the highest good of man. Now, this isn't anything new either. In Acts chapter 17, verse 18, Paul talked about the Epicureans. And the Epicureans were those who sought true pleasure through experience. So, so they lived for pleasure. And they, they thought that truth was found through seeking pleasure. And that's what the world does. That's the world's philosophy. You know, sexual indulgence is just another form of recreation. And, and basically what that does is it, it devalues women to simply vessels to satisfy the pleasures of men. That's what pornography does. So, so living for pleasure. Paul warns about that in First, First Timothy five. Uh, there's also situation ethics. This was uh, fostered or brought about by a guy by the name of Joseph Fletcher, who professed to be a Christian, and later in life he abandoned his Christian beliefs because obviously his his beliefs didn't line up with the Bible, but he taught that uh, you, know, you, you abandon fixed principles of morality and you substitute the law of love. Humans are more important than moral laws. So human love is more important than, than moral law or the law of God. So if, as long as you're in love, it's all right to violate the law of God. That's the bottom line. Uh, of course, the women's live, all, all these kind of things come around at the same time. Women's live, which is a movement to, to abolish the family. Uh, some want marriage contracts, contract marriages where rights are spelled out 50-50, you know. There's no such thing as a 50-50 marriage. It's 100-100. It's 100-100. And we have the, the modern educational system, and this was very coming in when I was still in school. So you know how, you know, I went to public school, and when I was in public school, already they were teaching perverted views of the sexual relationship and marriage. I can't imagine what they're doing now. Well, I've read about some of it. Homosexuality presented as normal. Transgenderism is even pushed as normal. If your little boy has some tendencies to playing with girly things, then that really means he wants to be a girl. That's the philosophy. It's it's a lie. Uh, they teach that uh, to to be pure all your life is. I mean, that's nobody does that. I remember. Uh, a paper I used to get. It's an article when the AIDS, the big thing with AIDS was, was, uh, going around and, 
and and this man, <clears throat> Christian man, went to his school, to a school meeting where they were going to talk about AIDS prevention and you know the tr- the, the prevention of uh, sexually transmitted diseases. And so he went to this meeting and and he said the the person in charge of the meeting was 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 saying about all these things that they could do and. And, you know, it was about contraceptives and, you know, and different things and protection and all that. And he, and he raised his hand and he said, uh, I don't see anything about abstinence in this material. And he said, everybody kind of snickered and laughed. And he said, I, and I was embarrassed. And so he said the meeting kind of went on and then the lady said, well, let's take a, the lady said, let's take a break. And we'll all go have some refreshments and shake hands and greet everyone and, and, and so on and so forth. And, and he said, I was, I was, you know, praying, Lord, not what do I say now? What do I do now? And he said, so I refrain from, you know, shaking hands and, and, and getting refreshments and all that. And, and you know, and the lady came around and said, come on. He said, no, that's okay. Thank you. And so after they had their refreshments and they all shook hands and greeted one another, then they come back and sit down and, and the lady said, now, how many of you, made contact with other people. Of course, everybody raised their hand. And she said, you see how easily these things can be transmitted? He said, that's when it hit me. And he said, I raised my hand and said, not all of us were infected. One of us abstained. See, one of us abstained. But see, the world laughs at the idea of abstinence. You know, there's, there's, the cures for a lot of these things are quite simple. If we just obey the Bible. All these things, the philosophies, deny the sanctity of the one flesh relationship and they deny the existence of sin. That's the bottom line. They deny the moral law of God. Uh, Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. Ephesians 4, verses 19 and 20. Paul, talking about the Gentiles, says, who being past feeling. And that word past feeling means that they have no sense of truth, no sense of honor, no sense of shame. In other words, they're not ashamed of their sin. So their past feeling have given themselves over under lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. In other words, there is, there should be a sense of sin. There should be a sense of shame of violating God's law to a child of God. You know, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 8, gives us some construction concerning this idea of entering marriage when he says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess. And that word possess there means to acquire. So everyone should know how to possess, uh, possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. So the idea here is, you know, he says to abstain from fornication, you ought to know how to possess or acquire your vessel in sanctification and honor. And he's talking about here, let's read on. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond the defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. So he's talking about how to acquire a wife. And he said you're to do it in sanctification and honor. 
And you're not to defraud your brother. In other words, you're not take, you take your brother's daughter and violate her. Or rob her of her virginity. That's the idea. You know, there was some severe punishment for that in the Old Testament. And, and so, so he says you to, to acquire her, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but to holiness. Uh, Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage is honorable in the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. You see, all these philosophies in our world today are unbiblical, and they, again, they deny the sanctity of the one flesh relationship, and they deny the existence of sin. So, and, and you know, again, this isn't anything new. In page uh, 15, I, I, this is an old book. It's printed in 1984. It's not, not real old, but um, I started reading it just recently. Again, I was thinking about this this uh, topic we've been talking about for the last few weeks, and this is this is titled "Growing Up God's Way" by John Stormer, who was an educator for many years in Christian schools. And, uh, and he said, "What?" And he asked the question, "What has happened in our society? How do we get where we are?" And and he said, "The revolution in the 1960s has brought us where we are." Now, this was written in 1984. This book, but he's talking here about. Uh, the blackouts in 1960s compared to the blackouts in 1977. And, and one police, police officer said this, in 1965 we were dealing with human beings. Now you are dealing with animals. This is an absolute disgrace. That's what a detective said. Now, he said this about the blackouts in 1977. You know, there were blackouts in New York City in 1965, uh, big power blackouts, and there was very little looting, very little damage done to places. In 1977, about 15 years later, there was all kinds of looting. Uh, stores broken into, and and uh, very few places uh, of of uh that wasn't looted and he said what happened well he said he said then you were dealing with human beings now you're dealing with animals that's what he called them uh, you know as i thought about this we have what we have in our country is we have now the hippies that are raised their children you know, the hippies were the 1960s. Drugs, free sex, all that. Let loose, live whatever. No rules, no no law. Do as you please. Live for pleasure. And they have children. They've grown up without law. And, and this is what we have. But that's not God's plan. See, God's plan is found in Genesis chapter 2. And the Bible says that a, that a man... Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. They shall be one flesh. Husbands and wives are to leave fathers and mothers. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean abandon them. You know, the Bible says in Exodus 20, verse 12, Honor thy father and mother that may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. 
Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to make a geographical move either. Uh, it does mean I think you need to move out of their house, but but doesn't necessarily mean you have to move across the country. What it means is you have to you are now to establish adult relationship with them. The relationship changes. After all, what has happened is the purpose for parenting has come to fruition. You see, the purpose of parenting is to train up a child in the way it should go. And when he is old, he shall not depart from it. So you train up a child in the way he should go to send him out to start another family unit. So it's like we plant tomatoes, Hoyles plant tomatoes with hopes of a harvest. Not sure they expected as much as they got, but you know they, they plant tomatoes with a hope of a harvest. And the same idea is in training children. And so the, the, the purpose of parenting has come to fruition, and that is starting another home. And so you establish an adult relationship with them. Your spouse becomes now before your parents. This is sometimes a problem in some homes. It doesn't say you're to cleave to your father and mother. It says to cleave to your wife. And wives are to give reverence to their husbands. You know, we're not dependent upon our parents anymore for approval, for affection, for assistance. I remember listening to a talk radio show and a lady called in. And she was trying to be nice and give respect to her parents. But she was... Her bottom line was she's questioning how do you respect your parents and not allow them to tell you what decisions you need to make if you don't agree with them. And there was a, a man and a woman on this and a guest lady on this talk show, and the lady quickly told her, Look, you're your own home. Your own home. You want to honor your parents. But don't let your parents intervene and dictate what you do. It should be between your you and your husband. And she said, do not apologize to your parents. Don't say, I'm sorry. Because it's really, and she said, I'm going to be blunt here, it's really none of their business. If you want advice, you can go to them. But they shouldn't be telling you what you need to do. It's your decision. It's your responsibility. It's your child. Even though it's their grandchild. You know, uh, you know, it's their child. And they're the ones responsible for training it. You are the one responsible for training it, not them. You see, we're, uh, we're to, uh, to leave father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And they shall be one flesh. Uh, need to eliminate bad attitudes toward your parents. Or you, someone said if you, you need to eliminate bad attitudes toward your parents or you will be emotionally tied to them. You know, bad, bad attitudes toward your parents will cr- create a guilty conscience. Don't try to change your mate. 
because your parents don't approve of him or her. Some of that should be taken care of before they ever get married in a good situation. Of course, not all of us, all of us had good situations. Uh, you make your husband or your wife relationship your number one priority in all human relationships. You know, this is a problem with with, with some in the world, you know, many times people struggle with, you know, giving up their buddies or uh, giving up their girlfriends or, or, you know, or being tied to mom's apron strings. And that can be a man or a woman. I've seen both. Talked to a man three or four years ago. Maybe it was, no, it was probably, I guess it's probably not, but eight years ago now. And that was, a, that was a real problem in his marriage. He was always seeking or asking his parents what they should do and not talking to his wife. Now the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, <clears throat> Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church. doesn't ever say that about your parents. It also says that the wife reverence the husband. And again, it doesn't say that, that she's ever supposed to reverence her parents. And so, there has to be a leaving and cleaving. Uh, we have to understand that marriage is a, pers- a, a permanent relationship. Mark chapter 10, verse 7 through 9, says, And for this cause shall man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. They twain shall be no more one, but one flesh. And verse 10 there, I didn't type out verse 10. Excuse me a minute here until I find it. 10, verse 10. Oh, verse 9, Wherefore, what therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And so mar- marriage is to be considered a permanent relationship, a covenant before God. It is a commitment to one, God, one another regardless of problems. You know, when, when, when we have somebody say their marriage vows, you know, it goes like this, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death us do part, according to God's holy ordinance, and therefore I pledge thee my love. It's not can I have better and not the worse, rich and not the poor, you know, health and not sickness. No. It's for better or poor, for, for better or worse, for richer or poorer. Uh, again, regardless of the problems that come into a marriage, and there is always problems. When you have two sinners living in the same house, you're going to have some problems. But you know, as Christians, we ought to know how to resolve our problems. We ought to know how to take care of sin. We see it as wrong. 
And then we confess it to God as such. And then we make it right with one another. And so the goal of marriage is this one flesh unity. Again, it speaks of the of the uh, physical relationship and it speaks of unity. Uh, it, is, it is, you might say it's a total 100% giving of yourself to your husband or your wife. Again, look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. <clears throat> Ephesians 5, 28 and 29, where it says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. See, he, a man that loves his wife loves himself. You know, loving your wife benefits you. It benefits you. And her. Of course, you don't do it for the benefit you get out of it. It's just automatic. There is a sharing of their bodies, their possessions, ideas, abilities, successes, sufferings, failures, and problems. And on. See, the husband and wife are to be like a team. Again, the Bible says here that, or said in Genesis chapter 2, that it was going to make a help meet for him. In other words, a help that would fit him. And of course, that speaks of the physical relationship they fit, but it also speaks of their other areas, their abilities, their their, their, their ideas, uh, their sufferings and their failures and their problems, their emotions. Your men and women are different. They don't only look different, but they are different in their makeup, their emotional makeup. You know, most men, and again, there's some men that are emotional, uh, more emotional than others, but most men are logical and think through things. Women tend to think more with the emotions. And it balances. You know, a good marriage balances that. They work together and it balances. Uh, You know, we men could be quite harsh with children. Because, you know, this this is right, you know. And this, where... A mother, you know, the emotions kick in, and she says, oh, you know, don't be too hard. You need to, be, you need to you know, love them, and, and so on and so forth. And so, that, so it balances out. They are a team. Uh, and we need to be concerned about each other as much as we are about ourselves. Look at Proverbs chapter 31, verses 11 and 12. Well, there it says about the woman, you know, we, we see that the uh, husband's to love his wife as himself, Ephesians 5. But Philippians 31, 11 and 12 says, The heart of her husband doth safety trust in her, so that he shall have no need of a spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. So we see in Ephesians 5 that he lives to love her. Proverbs tells us that this 
virtuous woman is going to do him good all the days of her life. See, this is a this is a team of working together, if you will. But once you notice one final thing here, the Lord Jesus Christ needs to be the center of the relationship. You know, this is actually what makes it work. You know, we need to ask ourselves this question. Young people, before you think about marriage, you need to ask yourself this question. What's the purpose? What's the purpose? You need to ask yourself, what's my purpose in life? What am I here for? And then what is the purpose of marriage? If a marriage is going to please God, if it's going to be what it ought to be, we have to understand what our purpose is. And that's that's the problem in the world today. We don't anymore know what the purpose is. Even Dr. Spock. You know, Dr. Spock wrote a book early on about not spanking. And uh, later on, he kind of changed his tune and realized what I wrote isn't working. But he said this. Uh, he said this, quote, the rearing, quote, the rearing of children is more and more puzzling for parents in the 20th century because we have lost a lot of our old-fashioned convictions about what kind of morals and ambitions and characters we want them to have. We've even lost our convictions about the purpose of human existence. Unquote. Now, I would probably guess that Dr. Spock was an unsaved man. But I want you to think about what he said here. We've even lost our convictions about the purpose of human existence. You know, if you want to have a successful life and a successful marriage, you have to understand the purpose of life and then the purpose of marriage. Why did God make us? Why are we here? So much more. We here just to live, work, live the American dream, and die, or what is our purpose? Well, in First John, chapter one, First John, chapter one, Apostle John says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled the word of life. The life was manifested, we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. John is telling us here, really giving us the purpose for which we were made, and that is to have fellowship with God. The fruit of that fellowship with God is we will bring glory to His name. You know, Revelation 12, or Revelation 4.11 tells us that He made all things for Himself, to glorify Himself. So our purpose, you know, we find this in other places, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, 
that our body, we're to glorify God in our body and our spirit, which are God's. And the purpose of marriage is not just to satisfy my pleasures. The purpose of marriage is given to us in Malachi chapter 2. Go to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. And verse 11. Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. Now, when he says a daughter of a strange God, in other words, he's married a daughter of the heathen. That's the idea here. <coughs> Excuse me. The Lord will cast off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And this have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receive it with good will at your hand. Yet ye say, Wherefore? In other words, why won't you receive this offering? I mean, we come weeping, bringing this offering, but why won't you receive it? He says, Because you've married a daughter of the heathen. But it's worse than that. Because the Lord has been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth. In other words, they had already had a wife when they married the daughter of the heathen. And he says, Against whom, verse 14, thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion and a wife of thy covenant. And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, wherefore one? Okay, so why did he make one? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, let none of you deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit, that deal not treacherously. So here the children of Israel, uh, they still wanted to worship God, but you know, the problem is that they didn't have a wife. They had an Israelite wife by whom they had children, but later on they wanted someone to give them pleasure. They wanted pleasure. So they seek a daughter of the heathen. Concubine. To satisfy their pleasures instead of being satisfied with what God gave them. And see, God said, you violated the purpose of marriage. The sanctity of marriage. The sanctity of the one flesh relationship. And you are dealing treacherously. God calls it treacherous. To live in an adulterous relationship is treachery before God. You see, Israel had become like the world. They had become pleasure seekers and they had forsaken the purpose 
for which God gave them the institution of marriage. And that was to raise a godly seed. See, marriage is not just about fun. It's not just about pleasure. Marriage requires a lot of sacrifice and self-denial. If you're going to do what God says here and raise a godly seed, it's costly. It's costly. It requires sacrifice, self-denial. It's a lot of work. It costs a lot of money to have children. It's never been cheap. Never. But then, life isn't about fun. We're here to fulfill the plan of God. Fun is temporary. It's temporal. Joy is a permanent thing. You know, marriage can be enjoyable. Depends on how you look at it. Do you know what you know what that takes? Foresight. Foresight. You can't dwell on the sacrifice and the self denial now of raising these children. You need to think about what you're raising them for. What your goal is. What your goal is. It's sort of like, again, planting a garden. Planting. The the most work is planting. You know, preparing to plant. Planting. Cultivating. Pulling weeds. All that thing, all that stuff. You know, it's, it's so picturesque of the of the raising children, you know, they've got a lot of weeds in their life. They're full of sin. You've got to weed it out. It's a lot of work. It takes sacrifice. It takes time. It takes effort. But you continue to do that till the harvest, and then you reap the harvest. Now, I want you to notice something. Go to Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs 31. Again, in the passage here about the virtuous woman, look at verse uh, 25. See, it's just, it's sort of like, again, you know, and, and it talks about all the things she has done, you know, preceding these verses. Uh, and, you know, verse, verse uh, uh, 20. 21, she's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all householders clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Uh, she maketh fine linen, verse 24, and selleth it, and girdeth, uh, delivereth girdles unto the merchants. Uh, uh, somewhere it says in this passage about, oh yeah, verse 18, she perceiveth that her merchandise is good, her candle goeth not out by night. There's a lot of sleepless nights in raising children. But, look at verse 25. 
strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. Look at verse 28. Her children rise up. In other words, they grow up. She's trained them. They grow up. They rise up and they call her blessed. And her husband also, he praises her. See, she will rejoice in time to come. See, this is God's purpose in marriage. It's to raise up a godly seed. It will use you up, as we talked about this morning. But you know what? It's like planting and waiting for that harvest. You know, we, we always look forward. You know, the, the, the most exciting time on the farm was harvest time. Planting was a lot of work. We spent hours preparing that ground and then put the seed in the ground. And, you know, when I was younger, of course, farmers don't do this anymore, but I, when I was younger, we used to cultivate the corn. And Dad was of the old school. He'd start cultivating with the corn when it was quite small, so he'd get it all done before it got too big. And sometimes, you know, the, the cultivator would push a lump of dirt over on a piece of on a stalk of corn and and bend it over. So he'd make us walk behind the cultivators and pick up, pull up, or straighten up any stalks of corn that got knocked over. We'd walk all day behind the cultivator. It's a lot of work. I can remember the day we still pulled weeds. In the cornfield. Now you just spray it. With a pesticide. Or insecticide. Whatever it is. Just spray it. But you know there's a lot of work. But then the harvest comes. Harvest comes. The reward. For the work. You put in. Marriage is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. But the reward will be in time to come. You know, I think of Moses' parents who kept him alive because they saw he was a proper child. They invested in him. They didn't have a lot of time, but they invested in him. Before she, he went to live with Pharaoh's daughter, they invested in him. He became the man that led the children of Israel out of Egypt. I think of Samuel, who Hannah prayed for, and then invested time in him, made him a little coat every year, took it up, and left him. Think of the heartache of leaving him with Eli. Eli! But she nurtured him. And, and prepared him for that time. And he became the greatest judge Israel ever had of the judges. The last judge. And I have to wonder if Samuel, if Samuel is judging Israel, if Hannah isn't standing back saying, that's my son who I 
invested in. And the Lord has rewarded me. Moses' parents stood back and say, that's our son. They also had Aaron and Miriam. That's our children. We invested in. It was a lot of work. We risked our lives to keep them alive. But after all, they were supposed to be dead, those two boys. We risked our lives to keep them Lord has rewarded us. You see, the purpose of marriage is to raise up a godly seed. But if we want success, we have to understand, first of all, what our purpose is. And then what God's purpose is in marriage. Are you seeking to fulfill his purpose in your life?